Welcome back to Logan Theory here at Mystic Rebels, the home of alchemistic astrology. I am Logan. I am the founder of this system. And I do want to talk about astrocartography today because it's an integrated part of alchemistic astrology. And this is because when I was trying to learn astrology and I was going through everything, I stumbled upon this and just the concept of it, the idea of it sounded really cool, but also... I realized things way before I got into astrology that when I went to certain places, I felt a different way and I didn't know why. I just felt, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, well, you're traveling. Of course, you're going to feel different. Oh, it's a vacation. Oh, it's this. And you kind of write it off. And you don't think much about it. But for me, I got I got really intrigued by this because uh, I'm going to go through this later. But I went to, you know, I've traveled to England, Ireland and Wales, and each one of those places was very similar, yet kind of different in terms of the energy of what I felt over there. And I've moved around so many different times and every single place I've moved has had a very different energy as well. And I've just really gravitated toward this. And unfortunately, there's so much misinformation. And to be fair, like here's the olive branch to that. It's only been around for like 50 plus years. Locational astrology is is older than this, but Jim Lewis popularized this um, in the late 70s, early 80s, and his work has lived on and carried on his legacy beyond his unfortunate passing. And, you know, there were some things that he noticed, like, for instance, he was struck by a, a car on a military base on his Mars ascendant line over in Sydney. Now, I took a minute and I, I looked this up to see what it is because this can feed into some of the pop culture like fake versions of astrocartography where we believe that Mars events are always bad and that you don't want to go to a Mars line because something like this might happen. So I took a, a minute just to kind of pull up his natal chart. And you know, if you're using alchemistic astrology, that our entire premise is based off of three main charts. You have your natal chart, your progress chart, and your relocated chart. All three of them are important for different reasons, and they're all active at all times. So you use your natal chart for the foundational, like the let's say the bulk of it. But beyond it, we use these other two charts to really get a pinpoint idea of what's going on. So one of the things I did was um, in the mid 90s when this accident happened, I wanted to see why. Can you see the energies? Obviously, we know we can because that's what the whole purpose of astrology is. So I pulled it up and I realized a couple of things. One, yes, he was on his um, relocated uh, Mars line. His Mars is in Pisces, though. So you have to start thinking about, like, how did that actually factor in? Mars in Pisces is ethereal. It's things behind the scenes. Most importantly, it's kind of putting action in things and not really being aware of your surroundings. And that's not a victim thing. I'm not saying he, like, it was his fault or anything. But it is one of those things. If you have a Mars in Pisces, you do have to be a bit more cautious and careful that you are not... Um, leaping without looking so it's not that you're with this type of energy that you're necessarily abrupt as much as sometimes it can be aimless and hard to kind of figure out where you're going but the side effects of that can be that you end up putting your energy into something without really knowing why you're doing it and when you translate into the real world of being and doing which is mars energy it also means that you're you can be unaware of your surroundings and, um, you know, his ascendant in that area, this happened in Sydney, Australia, by the way, and his ascendant in that area is at almost 11 degrees. It's 1053, 10 degrees, 53 minutes. And his Mars is sitting at 13 degrees, 30 minutes. So definitely a conjunction. We are within the orb of influence of his Mars ascendant line. And then that squares off with his sun line. Um, and then in, his, you know, the sun is the ruler of Leo and there is a Pluto it's not quite a conjunction based on the orbs of influence I use, but he has Pluto in the sixth house in Leo in that area. And then any transit that would have come across would likely activate both of those planets at the same time and thus force a conjunction between those energies. Now, that alone does not you know, tell you much of anything because I'm not looking at the transits or anything like that. And I don't want to dive deep into that because that's not what this po podcast episode is about. However, there is Uranus in his third house in Sydney with Lilith and a conjunction over to Saturn and its ruler in Taurus is Venus. And that's in Gemini in his fourth house. His midheaven ruler is also down there, which there is Sagittarius, Jupiter down there, which is travel, which is um, the government. The 10th house is the government. And uh, in the fourth house, you know, is homeland. Gemini is vehicles. And you put it together now that again alone is 
a semi-stretch to say that just because those energies are there, that that thing would have happened. However, what I also did further is to say, okay, and I picked a random time because Pluto and Chiron both move very, very slowly. So I went to the mid 80s. Um, when this act, I, I think I said 90s, I'm pretty sure it happened 80s. I can look it up again real quick. It was uh, uh, throughout whatever selected publications, life and death. In the mid 80s, he was struck by a vehicle crossing a military road in Sydney, Australia, which is on his Mars ascendant line. Uh, he eventually died of a brain tumor that I actually saw in his chart as well in San Francisco. Uh, where he lived out most of his life. He was uh, kind of a, well, I guess at that time you had to be a closet gay, but you know he was very much active within that community. That's in his chart too, by the way. Again, that none of that matters. But the point I want to bring up is in his progressions in 1985 and spanning before and after Pluto and his Chiron were conjunct. Um, and Pluto at that time, because he had hit his first ascendant flip already, was the ruler of his third house. So any sort of things that don't go right that can cause uh, issues, especially with Pluto uh, coming from the third house. This is also when we talk about the brain tumor and things of that nature. All of this kind of factored in and I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. But you can see it in the chart. You can see these types of events. You can also see uh, the positive things where he dedicated his life in his natal chart to his um, to his craft and his career and he's looking at systems and he's using you know locational things and pioneering things that are kind of taboo in that area um, that have to do with things that are spiritual and thinking outside of the box which is a very unique trait and uh, it all ties back into Gemini energy Aquarian energy it's very interesting when I pulled up his chart and I'm like there's a couple of things in here in his chart that are very similar to my chart he's a Leo rising and rulers in the 11th house in Gemini um, but then there's a bunch of stuff that's obviously very very different so there's that. Um, the point of even mentioning any of that is just to say um, when he was doing astrocartography and look, he's he made so many strides. He brought this to us. Um, it wasn't just him, but he was he was a very um, influential person and his family had coined the astrocartography mark with the two asterisks in it um, or patented rather. But anyway, it, you know, his. His work within astrocartography is what allowed me to be like, that's awesome, and look into it further. And there were a couple of things that he was not able to figure out. Like, for instance, you'll see a lot of these sites that say, you know, these lines, and I'll get into those in a second, but these lines on these charts, on these maps, you know, the distance away for it to be active is he was trying to figure out between 400 and 700 miles. And depending uh, on the line, it was like he knew there was a difference, but whatnot. What I realized very quickly, just because I built my own system from the ground up, and, you know, I obviously didn't invent astrology. I've been accused of saying that. I don't want it to come across like I think I invented astrology. I invented alchemistic astrology, which is based off of how you read energies and principles. And one of those things I realized is that when you pull up a relocated chart, which is extremely important in astrocartography, you are going to see orbs of influence play out on angular lines. So each one of these lines in astrocartography, if you pull up the map, if you go to astro, you pull up... Um, AstroClick Travel, and there's other websites. But when you pull up these lines, the main lines that come up first are called angular lines. And all that really means is that you were born a certain place, and there's usually a marker that tells you where you were born. And as you travel east and west, mostly east and west, you'll notice that your chart turns, and it turns each direction. So as you move west, it turns counterclockwise, and as you move east, it turns clockwise. So if I'm going west, then the 12th house will eventually become the first, which will eventually become the second, which will eventually become the third. That sign will then, you know, traverse through all of the zodiac. And it will do so um, in a manner that if I go halfway across the world, I will flip signs be the opposite sign, meaning I, for example, am a Leo rising. If I go exactly halfway across the world, the opposite of Leo is Aquarius. I'll become an Aquarius rising. So an important thing to know is that it doesn't duplicate. So if you're looking to figure out where you can have a certain rising sign, if you're trying to figure out for somebody else, a client or whatever, if you're an uh, alchemistic astrologer, you, you can kind of guess once you have done this enough and you realize how far away from the birthplace east and west you are, you can kind of guess I use this, for example, where especially people here in the United States, they're born in a certain 
certain spot and, and we're talking about whether or not their chart will shift in terms of actually changing your rising sign. And again, that doesn't change in your natal chart. It simply changes in your relocated chart, which is your energies in that area. Um, you can see by the ascendant point if there's enough land before you hit water, <laughs> essentially, uh, for it to turn. Uh, sometimes there just is not. So for instance, I was born at 13 degrees as a Leo rising in Baltimore, Maryland, which is, you know, Maryland's on the East Coast. I can't go East and become a Virgo rising. There's nowhere to go. I would have to find someplace East and South uh, to be able to find that. Um, but not in the United States. So I know in the United States, I'm not a Virgo rising relocated. I'm just not going to be able to find it because in my chart, the land mass isn't there. And, you know, this whole conversation becomes very muddied when we start getting into pop culture. Now, if you're on TikTok or YouTube or Instagram or any of these social media platforms, you have likely stumbled across someone who's talking about astrocartography, especially if it's really interesting to you, you've sought it out. Unfortunately, here's what you usually hear, and this is called pop culture astrology. For those of you who follow, you know exactly what I'm talking about. These are the stereotypes that are very wrong that they make on it. They'll say, go to your Jupiter line. It's abundance and luck. Everything will be magical for you, right? And they'll say, do the, they'll, they'll do the same thing for like the Venus line, the sun line, and then they'll tell you avoid Pluto, um, Uranus, Mars, and Saturn. And they'll tell you this because they believe that certain planets are good and certain planets are bad. And you know, in alchemistic astrology, that is not the case. However, there are the thematic expressions of each one of these planets. They do play out, but they play out in your chart. A Saturn line for me and a Saturn line for you are not the same. The only thing that's the same is that Saturn is going to influence an area of life. And that's, that's true for all of us. Some people, Saturn's really good. My wife in here in Los Angeles, she's on her Saturn IC line and she loves it. When we were in Tampa, she was on her Neptune IC and did not love it so much. She was very scared. A lot of stuff from, the, from childhood started coming up. Um, needed to have that spiritual stuff, needed it. And it was great for starting Mr. Grubbles, but sometimes it's a little too far where she felt very unrooted, uncomfortable, and needed certain things to be able to feel like she could sustain. She did not feel grounded, and she needed and wanted to feel grounded, which makes sense because her son in Pisces, the ruler Neptune, is in Capricorn. So that is something that's natural, and that's why in Los Angeles it works out really well for her. Uh, for me, I am born with a Jupiter IC. I was born there. I was born on it. I lived on it. And I had tons of abuse, all kinds of crazy abuse that I'm not going to lay out on this podcast episode, but just imagine it. And because it's Jupiter, it's expansive. It's a lot of it, all kinds. And uh, because it's in Scorpio, it's hidden. A lot of people didn't even know about it. Child Protective Services didn't know about any of it for the first four years of my life. I don't know who reported it or how they figured it out. But then I went to a foster care home and it was worse. Well, not worse. It was a different kind of abuse there until I was adopted. And then I had an interesting relationship with my mother, close but tumultuous, now close again. Um, but all of that kind of played out in my life. And you know, I'm saying that and letting you know this because the idea is that just go to a Jupiter line. Jupiter's amazing. It's luck and abundance. And I'm sitting here like, don't tell people to do that. I've also witnessed other people who, um, before I ended up, uh, you know, having the TikTok channel and having this podcast and all that, I, I was trying to help somebody. It was me and another guy. And we were trying to help this woman in a Facebook group uh, with her relocation. And she was told by everybody that same thing, move to your Jupiter line, Jupiter line, Jupiter line. She had been considering it in Jupiter line. And me and this other guy were avidly like, do not move to your Jupiter line. And everybody else was like, Jupiter's amazing, Jupiter's luck, Jupiter's abundance, Jupiter's travel, Jupiter's blah, blah, blah. And he and I were like, according to your chart, if you move to a Jupiter line, these things are likely to happen. And it's based on, you know, the astrocartography, it's based on the progressions, it's based on the transits, it was based on all of it. And she moved, she went, she said, these two guys are telling me not to go, but everybody else is. And since everybody else is, I'm going to go. And then as soon as she gets there, not even a month later, she's all up on the forums like astrology is terrible. It's garbage. No one told me. And he and I were like, 
we told you. We said what would happen. Everyone else just did the pop culture astrology thing and said, hey, Jupiter is an amazing life. It's an amazing planet. It's the great benefic. You know, you should go there. It's going to be luck, wealth, fortune, whatever. And he and I were like, that's not how it works. And you didn't want to listen. You wanted to go with the mass. And that's the problem fighting pop culture astrology is that the people who don't know what they're talking about speak the loudest. And it's all over TikTok. And astrocartography is really bad. There's one creator that's on TikTok. She's always online, always doing lives, always doing these readings, charging people. And she openly, I called her out, and she openly admitted in a response that all she does is read the screen, which is a generalized template. She does not actually pull up charts most of the time. She says she does it intuitively, but doesn't actually know what the lines were. In fact, she did this video on TikTok where she had her chart behind her on a green screen and she was talking about how she doesn't really understand it, but she went to her Saturn line, just didn't like it. And it's because it's Saturn. And I said, no, in your chart, the way that it played out is Chiron was actually heavily involved, especially when it came to her family and childhood. And it was making her feel very wounded and, and things that would play out would force her to mature and grow up in a way that was excelling, accelerating her wounds. It was this whole thing. And uh, still, people just didn't get it kind of right over their head. It's very important to understand that astrocartography, just like the rest of astrology, is a science. And if you do not apply scientific value to it and you just take the intuitive, spiritual, I think, they said type of stuff and try to apply it, you're not going to, you're not going to be able to align. Now, the purpose of astrology is to align with yourself and align with the universe. The purpose of astrocartography is to understand that when you were born, you were given energies as a result of you being on this planet. You absorb the frequency of this planet. And by extension of being here, you get the energies from all of the other planets based off of your exact location on this planet which means you're automatically mapped geog geographically and as within astrocartography energetically to the entire globe. It's already predetermined that you have the energy of this planet. So when you move, all it's doing is rotating as if you were born there, and that's what astrocartography gives you. But your natal chart doesn't change. You still have that. So what happens is you stay in one place, and you have your natal chart, your progress chart, and your relocated chart, your outward expression of you being in that area and the events that happen to you in your relocated chart when you haven't left your hometown do not differ from your natal chart. So you don't have to read two charts. It's the same as your natal chart. Just use that. But inwardly and outwardly matches. But what ends up happening when you move is that your natal chart and your outward relocated chart for the area you're in and based on how connected you are to that area is going to tell you which one is going to be the most influential. Your natal chart is always there. It's always static. It's always there. And we teach you the alchemy of using these energies for your best interest. But in astrocartography, you now have another layer on top of your progressions in your natal to consider. It does not replace it. It adds to it which is extremely important. There's no such thing. I'm going to leave this pop culture thing for a sec, but there's no such thing as the best line. First off, there's no such thing as a soulmate line. These are pop culture things. It's kind of like fame degrees. You'll hear that all the time on social media. You're, if you're five, 17 or 29, you have a fame degree. And it's like, that's, that's not true. First off, those are Leo degrees, which is based off of the stereotype of Leo's like to be in the spotlight. Um, and public image is the 10th house. So that doesn't even make any sense. But in astrocartography, they'll tell you the same thing. Like if you want to make money, go to your Venus line. Don't, don't do that. And I also want to point out that these lines are basically, like I said, your chart rotates left and right. And as it rotates, your angles change, which is why your ascendant changes. But all of your positioning of your planet stays the same. If you have Mars at five degrees in Libra, it doesn't matter where you go in the world. It will always be Mars at five degrees in Libra. It's only mathematical points that change. The vertex, your uh, part of fortune, your ascendant, your midheaven, your descendant, your nadir, those things change. And therefore, the only thing when you compare them in terms of aspects that change between your natal chart and a different area is, the, is those four points. So if you're going to Astro, for instance, and you're drafting your chart there, you go down to the bottom, there's this little triangular shaped grid that tells you Mars and the moon have a relationship or they don't. And you go all the way to the last two lines and it says Ascendant Midheaven. Unfortunately, it doesn't show the other two angles, but you can 
you know, look at the chart and figure it out. But you want to look at those last two lines to see what changed and if that's good or bad. We know that trines are not naturally good. We know that squares are not naturally bad. Um, but you have to determine if that's something you're looking for. For me, I have so many trines in my chart that anything with a square is super beneficial for me because it actually lets me invoke some of this energy and build. And when I came to Los Angeles, I got two squares. Mars square the ascendant and Saturn square my midheaven, I'm sorry, um, Sun square my midheaven. And that is where I was able to actually utilize a lot of my talents to create a film studio, to create um, a bunch of other things, all these other businesses that are out there. And uh, now a comic book company that I'm starting. And I need that. I need that agitation. I need that fire, <laughs> like that fire up under my ass to actually do something. So just remember that when you hear generalized statements, go to this line, go to that line, go to a line, all my best lines are in the middle of the ocean, all that stuff is nonsense. It's not real. I, in fact, in Los Angeles, don't live on a line. I live on an angular um, aspect line. So the only thing that's really going on here are the two squares that I just mentioned to you. I don't have a conjunction line. And as they turn around, those aspects become conjunct. So when you first light up that map, all those lines are all conjunctions. You do not have to go to a conjunction line, right? That's just kind of like a seamless merging of energies. But sometimes that's really, really powerful. Maybe you don't want to integrate that. Just depends on how your chart sits. Everything's based on your chart. And when you go to this different place, you're going to pull up and cast a relocated chart based on that area. The software will usually just do it for you. And it's as if you were born there, but you weren't. And that's important because you were layering. So here's a good example. Um, I was born in the Northeast. I traveled to uh, to London and Ireland. Now, over there, I became a Libra rising and London and Ireland were... Um, were very similar, but not the same because of, you know, east to west. So my ascendant in Ireland became closer to Mars and in London became closer to Saturn. And in Saturn, I felt older. I did. I felt more mature. I felt more like I want to wander. I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to experience. And I wanted to interact with different things, including books, which is a Libra thing. And it's interesting because when I was there in London, I stumbled upon, I was venturing out on my own for like the first time. And my mom would not let me be there by myself. So she came as a chaperone, but she still gave me the freedom to kind of wander. I got on the double-decker buses. I went around. I ended up in this... I don't know what it was, but it, I, it was a library or a store or something, but it was, you know, it was round and it had like one of those dome archway things above me. And uh, I remember looking over and I saw, which is interesting because Saturn on the Ascendant, which is Saturn is history. It is also tradition and all that, anything from the past. I saw this book that said uh, the the Revolutionary War, the American War of Independence of 1776, which we call the Revolutionary War, they call that. I pulled this book out, I started skimming real quick, something was drawing me to it, and I realized how different their account of it was. And then you start thinking about, well, history is written by the victors, and I'm a, a citizen of the United States, but I'm over here in England, and obviously we know the history between there, but we're not told perspective history. We're told victory history. And it's important to know both. And this really illuminated me to kind of be like, you know what? I don't know that I agree with almost anything that I've been taught in grade school because I started challenging other things. For whatever reason, it just struck me as I've always been rebellious, but this is a different side of my rebellion. Like now this is like, let's actually start paying attention to some other things. And that was very interesting. So um, I had those experiences. When I went to London, I'm sorry, Ireland in Dublin, everyone thought I was from there. Like there would be other tourists and be like, hey, where's this street? I'm like, I don't know. And uh, that was a very interesting thing for me. The seventh house ruler, which was in that area, um, it was Libra. So it was, or I'm sorry, it was Aries. I was a Libra rising there. It was Mars was on my ascendant. And, um, you know, it's trining out to Gemini in the ninth house. It was like the, the travel and the, the asking of the roads, which is all Gemini stuff. It was just interesting to see it play out like in retrospect, in hindsight. Um, but in that area, because Mars was on my ascendant, I felt, I didn't feel as old and structure. I still felt more so than the United States. Saturn's still in that first house. I remember this, but I felt like I wanted to do more, more action. And 
in that area, all the castles that we went to, a kiss the Blarney Stone, we saw all these castles. I was so enamored by these castles. I was a little disappointed with the Blarney Stone because I, I don't know. I guess I just didn't know, but I thought it was like this huge thing in the middle of like Stonehenge or something. And uh, it wasn't. It was you have to get up to the top of this this uh, this little castle. You get to the top, you lay on your back, you bend over. They they make sure you don't fall. Plus, there's some little metal grates there. At least there was when I went. I was 15 at the time. And you lean back backwards and you kiss this stone and that's it. And I was like, that's it. But it's a very specific stone at the top of the castle. But it was a cool experience nonetheless. But that Mars energy, I was with a friend and I wanted to prove, because I used to be into like, not necessarily parkour, but I was really a big fan of Jackie Chan's and I was in martial arts. And around that time, shortly after that, I ended up becoming a junior Olympian in Taekwondo. But I was, you know, very invested in martial arts. And I just wanted to climb this this other castle. It was not that one. It was a different one. And I ended up like running up and it had just rained and it was like mossy or whatever. My foot slipped on it. And usually I used to be able to run up a wall and like grab to the top. It was pretty cool stuff. Uh, but I slipped and I like fell down and my hand swiped this bush and I didn't think anything of it. And it hurt a little bit. And I was like, ah, that sucks. And I wasn't going to try it again because it just like, I don't know, it, it freaked me out for some reason. And I know the reason, but not some reason, I know the reason. Uh, right after that, I looked at my hand and it was like triple the size. And uh, apparently I touched like nettle and I had never, I didn't know that that was a thing. Like there's, I knew about poison ivy and poison oak and stuff like that, but I didn't know there was a bush that would like that quickly, like just brush it. And it, so we, I ended up going back to my mommy and she took me to, she found a convenience store and there was some thing that they knew. They were like, oh yeah, you touched this. And they just gave it to me and fixed it. But that Mars was definitely there. It was like, I felt more active. I have pictures of me in Ireland, uh, up on tree stumps, you know, holding kicks and doing these flips and stuff like that. And it was very much an active place. Um, but yeah, that was that was kind of my experience over there. And it was interesting to see, you know, Pluto's also in that first house for me. So the nettle thing made a lot of sense as well. Um, but in terms of like other experiences I've had, you know, uh, living in Baltimore when I was, you know, entering the workforce and doing my thing, uh, I went through so many different jobs and that's reflected in my chart. But I ended up, the ones that I actually ended up sticking with the longest were all technology based. I worked for Radio Shack for a long time, uh, AT&T, and then went through all these mergers, but AT&T, uh, Sprint, and Verizon. And then when I left Baltimore, I was I, I never worked for another company again. And I left Baltimore at 27. So up to 27 years old, I worked, worked, worked. I worked a lot. And, you know, my son's in the 11th house, which is my chart ruler. And then my midheaven is in Taurus in the 10th house. So working for a corporation that has, you know, some sort of value, um, and aesthetic and, you know, whatnot. And my, again, my son over there in the 11th house of electronics and technology and, you know, teams and things like that. And, you know, I, I didn't really climb the corporate ladder. I've got that Chiron in the 10th house. I got a lot of things that played off, but in terms of astrocartography, uh, that was what I did when I left and went to, um, to Los Angeles, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just going to go. And, you know, there's something called local space lines, which are really interesting. And I'm still working on my studies on how to always apply those because sometimes it's like they feel like they apply and other times they don't feel like they apply. But um, Neptune on my local space goes directly through Los Angeles. I had moved to a very obscure city called Harlingen in the southern tip of Texas. And my moon line goes right through there. Uh, a couple of years ago, we moved to Tampa to just maintain our freedom when everybody else was shut down. And I had a Saturn line that went through there. Um, and I didn't know these things when I moved there. They just kind of were places that drew me in. But in Los Angeles, I was homeless for over two years, went through my Saturn return there. And like I said, I only had those two squares. There's no other line in astrocartography within an orb of influence that would affect that specific city. But I did have my relocated chart and I became a Cancer rising, relocated. My my 10th house became Aries with its ruler in the fourth house in Libra. And then my midheaven ended up in Pisces, uh, squaring off with my son. And my son was in the 12th house 
And that was my son is opposite Neptune. Neptune, which was also the ruler of my midheaven, ended up in my fifth house. So all of my work has always been very, I got to figure it out. It's been very difficult to try to figure. That's a Pisces thing with your midheaven and Pisces. Often you're like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. But I ended up just kind of doing things and going with the flow and whatever. And it was always um, spiritual based or um film-based or media or anything behind the scenes. Even when I started doing film at the beginning, I ended up in background because my son is in the 12th house. So I ended up doing background work. It's opposing Neptune in Sagittarius. And while I was doing background work is where I learned everything. I used to leave and go off and talk to, uh, well, I would tell the second AD that I was going, but I go talk to the producers, the A-list actors, the showrunners, if it was TV. I talked to everybody, all the stuff you're not supposed to do. Of course, me as the rebel. I'm going to go do it. So I did. And I learned everything and I built my film studio afterwards. And the point of that is, you know, with those energies, with a midheaven in the ninth house and Aries in the 10th house, that is very much an entrepreneurial energy. I made the decree to myself that I'm not working for anybody else when I get to Los Angeles. I didn't make that decision in Baltimore. I made it when I arrived in LA. I was like, mm, no. So the first thing I did, I told myself I'm not working in anything if it's not entertainment. So I ended up doing um, club promoting for strip clubs, for nightclubs and whatnot. That's kind of like how I started. And then when I was ended up homeless, because I'll get into that situation in a, in a different episode. Uh, I lived in my car, I decided to stay there instead of going home and letting my parents bail me out or whatever, which only was an option in dire circumstances, which this kind of was. But I told my my parents that, uh, and this is when my Saturn return was all coming up. I told my parents, you know, I'm going to stick it out. Like I really, I don't want to come home. I don't want to go back to, I don't like, I liked my energy. I didn't know what it was or why, but I liked being there and I felt like there was a challenge. And that's where my sun square midheaven and my Mars square ascendant came in. There was something about it that I was like, no, I can do this. And that energy, that square, something I had never felt before in my life. The only thing I had close going for me was my son and my my midheaven naturally are in a semi-square. So I've always had this agitation that there was something more for me and I was always trying to figure it out, but it's only a slight agitation. It was, was not enough to really force me into doing anything. It's always this like, there's something bigger for me, there's something better for me. But I don't know what it is. But I think it's, and I always knew it was somehow because that midheaven semi-square uh, semi to uh, to my son opposite Neptune. It was always like music or film or whatever. I used to film these fight scenes with my friends. I used to, um, I did hip hop. I did, I was in boy bands. <laughs> Laugh it up. I was in R&B groups. I went solo. I did, like I did so much in music and I was with five independent record labels. Even when I got to LA, there was a, personal assistant for one of the executives at Warner Brothers Records who scouted me. Essentially, she was in a, she didn't really scout me. She essentially was in a karaoke bar where I was supporting a friend who was hosting karaoke. I sang a couple of very eclectic choices that night uh, from like Busta Rhymes to Limp Biscuit, like just random stuff I wouldn't normally do. And she came up to me at the end and asked me if I was signed. And then we had the whole conversation and she gave me, uh, put me in contact with an A&R rep there. And eventually I chose, I didn't, I chose to walk away from it. I was like, I don't like the music industry anymore. And I left uh, and went to film. But anyway, all of that happened, right? Texas. Um, this is a different tip. This is not really uh, career related. But when I went to Texas, again, I told you about the local space line, but when I got there, um, energy was very different. I was very uncomfortable with who I was in that area. I didn't know how to progress forward and do anything and move forward. And, um, you know, at that point in the country, going from east to west, I had already flipped into cancer, uh, cancer ascendant, but my other stuff was very different in terms of the other angles. And um, that was, that was a very interesting, I actually haven't really pulled up that chart to look at it, but I had some very interesting things happen, um, there. And a lot of stuff had to do with relationships where I have a Saturn retrograde in Libra anyway, and it moved from the third house to the fourth house. And I felt that I felt a lot of stuff when it came to, that was actually the first time I was homeless was that entire you know, thing. We went to Texas and boom, homeless. So there's this whole thing with like having relations with family, with, um, you know, my partner's family within the aesthetics and, and money, because my Saturn also is quincunx, my Venus and with Venus, not conjunct, but in the same house is Chiron. So I had experienced these things. Um, and that was kind of my first 
my first go at it and I'm pulling it up right now. And yeah, I was a 19 degree, of course, 19 degree, uh, almost 20 uh, cancer rising, which means it's semi-sextile my son. Uh, so it, it's actually and with my north node, which means I really needed to accept who I was in terms of family, in terms of not trying to have that ego and not trying to, it's all conflicting with value and whatnot. And then that is conflicting with like transformation and friendship and like figuring out my life because my, my moon, which is the rule of cancer is conjunct Vesta. So it's like, what the hell am I doing? It was a very interesting experience. We lasted there a couple of months, homeless the entire time, stayed, I went with a girl that, um, essentially my my mother and like i told you it's a it's a moon line uh, in local space that goes right through there and it was an issue i had with my family with my mother and she she basically said you're not doing shit with your life you either you know straighten your shit up straighten your ass up or and and do that or you need to get rid of this girl because she's holding you back whatever and at the time my rebellious self i was 20 21 something like that 20 and uh my rebellious self was like I love her. She's more important than you are and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that was the wrong choice. <laughs> but but I didn't know it at the time. And she was like, fine, get out of my house. So I ended up, there was this whole scene and it was, I was such a douche at the time. And I ended up uh, taking her and going to where she's from, which is Southern Texas. And it was awful. And even when I decided to come back, I had a friend, his father, you know, paid for a Greyhound ticket so that we could be on the bus. I had sun poisoning and there's these kids. The family was like in front of us and behind us. And they kept the kid kept running back and like slamming into my leg. And my sun poisoning was um, we were on South Padre Island is what it's called. We were there and it's like reflecting off the water. So it's from my knee all the way down to my feet and it was god it was awful sucked as an experience but anyway this kid kept running back and forth between one parent and the other and slamming into my leg every single time it was a awful ride and uh you know there was all of that stuff and but also the other thing that happened is the first time i met her um my ex-fiance when i got down there uh when i was leaving we had i had just proposed to her and I was leaving. I didn't know when I was going to come back or how she would get. I didn't know how any of that was going to happen. And I had this this event happen. And remember, your chart changes, which means your sixth house changes, which means your health changes, which means all your aspects change, which means. So anyway, I bit into an apple on a Continental Airlines flight just after shortly after takeoff. And I know that where I was, I was still a cancer rising, uh, probably over Louisiana or wherever we were still a cancer rising which means Neptune and Uranus were in my sixth house. And Uranus rules allergies, if you're unaware. Mine's in retrograde. I bit into this apple, and all of a sudden, I had this anaphylactic shock. I almost died on this airplane, biting into an apple. And I was like, what the hell? I thought the apple was poison, whatever. I get back to Baltimore. I realize, I start, you know, I, I'm, you know, I have the experience. I end up eating carrots. Same thing. I almost die. And then... I, I'm like, now I'm like, what the hell's going on? And then I'm trying to research it and figure it out. And I'm like, do I have oral allergy syndrome? Am I allergic to pollen out of nowhere? Like, what is going on? I'm 20. I've never had this issue. I used to be the kid at family gatherings, you know, with the chips and dip and the carrots and dip and just munching away candy apples, all kinds of Granny Smiths, whatever. All of a sudden I got this and you know, Super Earth Mama, my wife, who's the other half of Mystic Rebels, she has determined recently um, through her practice and what she does, alchemizing herbalism, because she does alchemistic uh, alignment. She does the herbalism in the tarot. And she realized, you know, the the um, not just the complexity, but to the extreme that nervous system conditions, basically stress and emotional trauma trigger or involuntary responses from the body. So essentially, that allergy that I gained was because of the traumatic experience of leaving my, my ex-fiance. I had no idea. I had no idea that that would even be a thing. Doesn't make any logical sense to me. Obviously, I was public school educated, so a lot of things don't make any sense to me because they teach you one thing and the reality is over here. <laughs> but you know, now that we do this and we heal people, 
I'm always looking for that. I'm always like, what's the emotional root? What's the stress root? And it's always there. It's always in the chart. But anyway, I just wanted to say, you know, that didn't happen on the East Coast. It happened in just over Louisiana, uh, Texas area. And that, you know, like I said, um, between the transits that were happening at the time and um, Uranus being uh, Uranus and uh, Neptune with Lilith being there in the sixth house, all of that triggered that allergy. And it's just really, really crazy, in my opinion. But astrocartography, had I known it, I don't know that I would have been able to predict that exact thing. Um, but the energies there definitely supported, hey, pay attention to your health and pay attention to anything that has to do with aviation and flying and, and all these things. And it's just, it, it's mind blowing how it plays out. And then the last one is I went to Tampa. So when I left California, I told you I was an entrepreneur. When I went to Tampa, I was thinking to myself before I looked at the astrocartography. And this is when we went to Tampa, I was already into astrology. I'd already kind of dove in. I already knew about astrocartography. I used astrocartography explicitly to choose Tampa because it was the best place um, for my wife and for myself um, and looked good for our baby, too, because we had we. Um, we had a baby coming and we had already kind of predicted some things. So, but specifically for myself and my wife, we used those as the main two. And we got there and everything was exactly as I expected it to be. Um, didn't love it, but that's because I don't love that energy being a Leo rising the way it configures in my chart on that side of the country. I definitely prefer my energy as a cancer rising. But before I looked at the energies, I was kind of concerned. I was like, oh, I know that when I went to Los Angeles, I became an entrepreneur because of how the chart sat. And I was like, my 10th house is going to, I'm going to reset as a Leo rising. My 10th house is going to go back in Taurus. I don't want to work for anybody. And then when I pulled up the astrocartography, I realized, oh, but my midheaven is still in Aries. And my sun resets to the 11th house. And then my midheaven in Aries trines down to my Neptune placement. And that's where Mystic Rebels started with my Pluto on the IC. So it's literally that. Plus, we I got into tech and we started creating all of these platforms. So definitely still an entrepreneur. A lot of things happening. And then, of course, Pluto on my IC in my third house had some weird neighbors. Just some weird stuff going on with the neighbors. Also had some stuff happen with um, bugs, like cockroaches. Uh, that I didn't was unaware of that in in Florida, if you change a toilet, that they just come out of the sewers. <laughs> I don't want to gross anyone out. I'm not going to go deeper, but I was grossed out. And thankfully, I had hired somebody to do it because if it was me, I would have screamed like like a five year old girl. Oh God, reliving it now. I don't want to do that. Cut off, push away. So anyway, astrocartography is extremely important. Now, I do want to add to something here. Uh, two main things. One is that the purpose of astrocartography is not where's the best place to live. Where's the perfect place? There's no such thing. What it is is to say, here's my natal energies. Here's the things that I want to do. Here's the reason why I'm moving. What areas support the reasons why I'm moving? And that's when you're actively using it intentionally, not because you're drawn to an area. And by the way, usually when you're thinking about astrocartography, you are drawn to these areas because they are your energy. So if you're very in tune with yourself, when you get an astrocartography reading, I'm always going to ask, are there areas that we're looking at? Because you're usually drawn to certain areas. And then we look at those areas. If not, I need to know why. Why are you draw or why are you moving? What's the point of relocation? Now, if it's a, a reason that's out of your control, like, you know, my spouse is in the in the military and they're being positioned at a different base and it's in a different place. And I just want to know the areas of that energy or something like that. Or I work for this company and they're having me relocate over here for an opportunity. Then, yeah, we're just going to look at it. We're going to take um, that into consideration so you can best utilize those energies. But if you have the choice, I'm definitely going to ask you, why are you moving? Because it's all about alignment. It says, if you want to achieve this thing, this area will help you do that. I'm not going to talk about this any further, but there's also something called remote activation, which has to do with how you interact with people from those areas or people who are living in those areas or how you can take something from that area, fixate or focus on it, and then align with some of that energy to do certain things as well. Remote activation is really cool. I'll talk about that separately. I obviously teach astrocartography. I have a basics intro to astrocartography class already up. I'll be teaching much more about this because it's an integrated part of alchemistic astrology. It is not separate, just like predictive astrology is not separate. It's all a part of it. Remember your main three charts are your natal chart, your progress chart, and your relocated chart. 
So it's always being considered um, unless you haven't left from your hometown, then it doesn't really matter. The local space lines is really cool diving into it. They're really meant for localized areas. What direction should you travel for Mars related things in your chart? The pop culture is like go to a Mars line if you want active stuff. Now, part of that is partly true. But you want to understand the the entire way that Mars plays out in your chart to know what Mars is going to give you, what Saturn is going to give you, because those lines go outward. And you have local space based off of your natal energy, basically your natal positioning. And when you got, when you dive that deep into it, you really want to zoom into the hospital or the house. And in Astro's Astro Click Travel, you want to move that little cursor. Like for me, I was born in Baltimore, but it kind of puts it off. I actually take that cursor and move it right over where the hospital is based off of, you know, the roads that are there. Um, because it does adjust that the further you get away from that point, the more it's going to be skewed off if you're not, you know, in the right area. Um, I've noticed a couple things as well is that the lines... Um, just slightly to the left. So if they're going left, it's slightly above. If they're going down slightly to the left, seems to be more favorable than the other way. I've just noticed that. I don't know if that's 100% true, so don't take it as such. But I've noticed that for me and for everyone else when I look at it, it's just to the left or off. So um, that could be a birth time thing. You know, if your birth time is not 100% on, and I'm talking about to the seconds, which none of us know then that could be the reason for the disparity. So I've just noticed that in my chart. I've noticed it a little bit in my wife's chart. Um, if your birth time is off, your astrocartography will be quite off as well. If it's a minute or two, it's not a big deal. But if it's like five minutes, it's it's quite a significant thing. And here's why. The one thing I didn't talk about, and I'm not going to dive into this until a future episode, is Perrin lines. So each energy in your chart, every single planet is given a direction um, that is you know mathematically determined and they create crossing energies and those are latitude lines now if you're using astros again astro click travel they're invisible which is stupid but they don't show them and uh you know eventually i'll create a software and you'll be able just to click it and see it but these are crossing energies and you have to like randomly click around to find them so for instance when i am in baltimore um, my energies are sun and uh, moon crossing, but they're very specific to an angle. So in that area, I'm going to pull it up real quick. Crossing sun and moon, the sun is on my ascendant, the moon is on my midheaven. And this balances out male and female energy, mother and father energy, but the sun is highlighting my actions, who I am, what I do. It'll make you a little bit more dramatic under certain circumstances, but it definitely puts a focus on doing and being however... Um, the sun sits there and I've always had this vibrancy in my life, but I've also also I've been very um, timid at times until my activation at my ascendant degree. That's a whole other thing. And then, um, you know, I've had the getting lost in a dream world type of aspect and diving deep into that, which is what makes me very good at, at um, storytelling and um, spirituality and revisiting and revisiting and revisiting and anything media related. Uh, because that Neptune is in retrograde, but that opposition plays out. And then the moon on my midheaven is I've always been very in tune with the public, very in tune with other people. And people have been very invested in my personal life. They always have been very invested in who I am, where I came from, why I do what I do, even in like high school. And it always bugged me. It was always like, why do you care so much? about what I did when I left school and went home. You don't even know me. You probably don't even like me. I wasn't a cool kid. I was definitely a nerd. And I was very popular, but not for the popular reasons. I just knew everybody and I interacted with people. Some people were bullies and I knew the bullies and I knew all the bully groups. Some people were like my next door neighbor. Uh, he was a popular kid and I knew him. So therefore I knew everybody he associated with who he dated and all them but I, I was never friends with any of these people I was always friends with the outcast because I was an outcast but anyway it was very interesting now that I look back to see how the moon and, and sun that crossing energy plays out for me in Tampa I had um, Jupiter on the midheaven which is you know teaching and consulting and international and all that with the north node on the descendant how do I interact with other people how do I start a business something that is going to be what I want to you know, claim and, and do trajectory. If you've noticed, Mystic Rebels has kind of evolved over the time. It started out as a tarot company. We added astrology. We've added herbalism. We've kind of turned it into a mindset company. And now it's growing into something else that is going to be more collective as we launch our platform. And, you know, 
uh, how you inter- how I interact with other people has been very difficult in that area. Um, but it did give me that uh, Jupiter in Scorpio. Remember Jupiter on the midheaven, that's great, but my Jupiter's in Scorpio. That's important when you're looking at these crossing lines. And then in Los Angeles, it's interesting because my Venus is on my ascendant, which means, you know, it, it brings value to me. But because of that, it means Chiron's also there. So it makes me feel I have to do something very unique, be my own um, and not... Um, and not compare myself to other people. In my natal chart, it's already showing that, but it's, it's very important here. And then my Pluto is, you know, Pluto is on the descendant. And Pluto for me is retrograde. It's also in Libra. And then because Pluto's on the descendant anyway, um, it, it's, it's transformation and finding value within like, Uh, people of influence. I had a $40 million deal that came here. I met all kinds of A-list people and producers. I've done all kinds of really cool stuff in Los Angeles, Um, but I've also had very, very tumultuous relationships and very, um, very personal, interactive, um, and deep transformation processes through who I've interacted with, both positive and negative. So that's a major theme of what's going on. I've also accumulated the most money in my life in Los Angeles and that Pluto ascendant uh, that's going there, even though we're talking about the ascendant and the descendant, it's still those energies that are crossing each other. And it's it's allowing for shared resources to come in and make money, which is another thing that I've done. And Pluto and the descendant keeps me niched down in the businesses I do. So just knowing that if any business I do that's here and that I'm a part of and contributing to that has to follow along with that those guidelines as well. But anyway, this is kind of like your crash course intro podcast episode story time uh, from me version of astrocartography. I'm hoping that this gave you some sort of insight. Astrocartography is super exciting. There's so much more that we can unravel from this. Like I said, when it comes to like 400 to 700 miles away, that's not true. It's based on the planet and the line and the orb of influence based on the relocated chart. So there are certain things that Jim Lewis had done, some things he couldn't figure out. I have actually figured out a lot of those things. And then there's some things that I don't know. I still haven't figured out because astrology is so freaking expansive. You're literally talking about the universe and all kinds of math, um, which I love math, but you got to break it down and understand it to build something cool. And I feel like we are building something amazing with alchemistic astrology, with our practitioners and the people who are becoming alchemistic astrologers. And these people, some people are going to use it for their own integrative processes and businesses. Other people are using it just for themselves, all perfectly fine. But there are going to be a handful of you guys who are going to learn this dive deeper and start looking at the truth beyond how we can expand modernized astrology out so it is reliable, dependable, and we just gather more and more useful information that we have tested rigorously, and it's always true. And that's the point with alchemistic astrology. We can alchemize it because it's always reliable. So um, I'm going to close it on that. So I appreciate you guys being here and always vibe higher.